Welcome to Street Smart Success. This is Roger Becker, your host. The e-commerce subscription model is exploding. Today's guest, Christopher George, co-founder of Gentleman's Box, built a subscription-based company that had a successful exit in October 2020. Chris and his partners also founded the Subscription Trade Association. The Subscription Trade Association provides valuable resources, including great content and conferences for the growing community of e-commerce direct-to-consumer subscription companies. So today we have with us a innovative, creative entrepreneur who is a subscription expert. He is the founder and CEO of Gentleman's Box and also uh, the co-founder and chairman of Subscription Trade Association, So, which is a super cool thing. He's a guy that gives back. Uh, so today we have Chris George. And Chris, thanks so much for joining me on Street Smart Success. Of course, happy to be here. And Roger, real quick, um, Gentleman's Box actually got acquired on ten one, so this year. So no longer had that position, but was the co-founder of that business. Well, gosh, uh, congratulations! Thank you, thank you so much. It was a great journey. We'll talk about that. That's super, super exciting. You know, when I hear about the subscription service, and this is a very random thing, but for whatever it's worth, I always think about Shark Tank because um, I think. Kevin, in particular, Mr. Wonderful, really likes subscription services, if I'm not correct. Yeah. I mean, anything continuity, he's like a big fan of, right? So it's having that reoccurring revenue, businesses with reoccurring revenue of higher valuations. So he does love those and he likes to take his, he likes to take his little perpetuity on any investment that he, he, he brings to the table. He does indeed. Well, before you founded Gentleman's Box, you know, I, I looked at your profile and it looks like you're a Michigander from born and bred all the way through college. Is that correct? That is. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, born and raised in the Detroit area. Love it here. And, you know, I love the four seasons. You know, a lot of people say it's too cold, but it's where my family is and friends. And so I love being here. You know, I, I love the two weeks of summer back there. <laughs> we get more than that sometimes <laughs> it just pops up sometimes in the wrong season <laughs> i know uh i my listeners i'm sure are sick of hearing this but i am from cleveland and so you know i just remember it being like in august just super super humid and uh you know i, I went to college in in ohio as well at cincinnati so i was i was in ohio until i in my mid twenties. And I just remember that, um, it didn't get predictably reliably really warm until the end of June, even in mid June, you could have a cold day back there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Similar, similar weather we have. Yeah. Why I would imagine Detroit's a little bit North. It's probably even more pronounced, but so, and you went to, is it Oakland university? I did. Yeah. I graduated there with a bachelor's in marketing. In is Oakland University in Detroit? Uh, it's in Rochester Hills, Michigan. Got it. Is yeah. that a drive from Detroit? Like, did you live at school or did oh, no, you? I lived in Bloomfield Hills. And yeah, it was, I, I, so I didn't uh, get the full college experience. I was working while I was in college. So, and I had paid for it myself. So I um, went to a university that was a little bit closer to me so that I could commute to it. And, um, yeah, biggest reason being I was working through college. I knew I had to pay for it. And if I stayed room and board with food, my 
loans probably would have been double uh, than what they what I ended up with when I graduated. I see. When you were working through college, what kind of work? Yeah. So, I mean, starting young, I mean, I was working, my dad had a liquor store and I worked there for years. And then I started working at a sports store uh, called Dunham Sports. And then I went to, to Circuit City where we were paid on commission. And that was when I, I started to see like my value of being really good at sales, knowing that I could get commission every sale. I worked like crazy. I took like 10 minute lunches. And I think at 19, I was a supervisor. So I was like the youngest supervisor across the nation. And then when I was 21, my last year of college is when I started my first business, which at the time was a collection agency. Um, I was with a friend of mine's dad and we started this business together. And that's when like my whole entrepreneurship journey started. You started a collection agency. Where did you get the idea to do that? So yeah, it was my friend's dad. He he knew that I had really good work ethic and uh, collections is actually really similar to sales. So I was always really good at sales. With collections, you're convincing people and educating them why they should pay their bills. And so it wasn't much different, right? You're talking to people all day long and I was good at it. And so he had a lot of experience in that industry. We started one together. We had that for maybe seven years. I was president of the Michigan Association of Collection Agencies at like 28, I think it was. And then I uh, exited, sold my share of the business as I saw that there was this, you know, I saw the future in e-commerce. and I was, what started off was I was buying stuff at auctions and finding things online that I could resell online. And, um, you know, it was the mentality of like my dad had a liquor store, right? And he would buy things for cheap, for a lower price and sell them for more in his store. And he was limited to like the two, three miles around his liquor store where I took that same idea and concept and was just doing it online so that my audience was much, much, much broader. And uh, that's where the e-commerce started to happen. I knew that's where consumer buy- buying behavior was going. And I wanted to have an online business. And that's then when Gentleman's Box started. Me and, and the co-founders, John Haji and Paul Chambers, had come together and, and um, started the Gentleman's Box. As we saw, not only was e-commerce growing, but like we started to see the subscription industry growing and subscription boxes. And everything was geared towards the female demographic. And we said, well, why don't we build something that's geared towards the male demographic? And, and that's where that started. Wow. Okay. So you, you kind of went where the puck wasn't or where the, you went where puck's you going. Know, you, you, yeah. yeah you, you went where the, yeah, exactly. Uh, so very simple, you know, real, Hey, everybody's going after women. Let's, let's go after men. So even before we get into that, like w- before you started gentleman's box with your two co-founders, what kind of stuff were you buying and selling online? Oh gosh. Everything from health and beauty products that like I could get at TJ Maxx and sell them on Amazon for more to one time we bought 50,000 lighters for like five cents each and I sold them for like 25 cents a piece, but like obviously in bulk, but you know, that's where the margin was. Um, it was anything. I, I still have that in me. I, I like to flip items. Um, I remember going to an auction and I bought like seven Mickey Mantle cards for like 800 bucks and I sold them for like 9,000. I've always just had that natural knack of like finding something for less and selling it for more. And that could, I mean, that's still very prevalent to today. I mean, you could go to a, you could go to a thrift store, you could go to a TJ Maxx, which is like, um, you know, selling things on discount. You could go to a big lots, you could find things for less and sell them for much more on Amazon. And so that I still have a business that does that. And, um, you know, doing that was something that really started to get me focused on the e-commerce space. 
And and let me see that the, the market is is so big, right? You you can sell to anybody across the nation and across the world if you really want to. And that's what got me to where I was at. Wow. <laughs> so you could just so there's stuff that you, you walk in today, you're talking about in a store, you could see something at big lots for yep whatever nine bucks yeah. that on Amazon you could sell for 29 or whatever. Well, let me give you a, let me give you an example of some of the things I did. I was in a Sears. Sears is an appliance store and they were closing. I walked in the store to, I was looking for some appliances for my house. There was a, a Lionel train set that was retailed for 199 they were selling it for $70. I took I scanned the barcode, I listed it on Amazon. I was shopping. Before I got done shopping, it sold for 180. I took it to the front and said, Hey, I need to ship this to a friend of mine as a gift. So it sold while I was sitting in there. And then I had Sears ship it to the customer that bought it. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty. And th- that's not the only time I've done that. I've done that a few times. Um, I just had that knack, right? And like, as you start to sell more things, you start to identify items that you know sell really well. But also, like, Amazon has like really good tools that you could scan them and see what they sell for. I mean, if I did nothing else, I could do that all day and make a living, right? Like it's not, it's not scalable, right? Unless you hire a bunch of people, but anybody can make a living doing that. No problem. Wow. That is just interesting as all get out. I mean, it, I guess it doesn't surprise me, but by the same token, it does surprise me. I, I, you know, it's like picking grapes off the ground if you're just willing to bend over, I guess. Yeah. Um, Wow. So the Mickey Mantle cards that you sold for nine grand, what do you think those are worth now? Oh man, who oh, probably a lot more. That was like eight years ago. So a lot more. Um, I mean, especially with sports cards right now, they're just booming. Sports cards, Pokemon cards, which I'm really into Pokemon cards. Um, I like them more than sports cards because I joke that, you know, Pikachu can't get injured, right? So, you know, look at like Joe Burrow, right? Like He's going to be, he's a phenomenal player and he's going to be fine, but like he had an injury. So the value of his cards went down and you don't know how he's going to come back. But a a 2001 Charizard is like not losing value. It's only gaining value. And so I'm really into those and I've I've been investing in them and flipping some here and there and holding a bunch and, and yeah, sports cards and Pokemon cards are just flying right now. You know, I bought a bunch of back in August uh, with my son which is another way of saying I, I bought them and he chose them a bunch of basketball cards that I think they're doing okay. Um, you know, cause the season's been so crazy, obviously, but yeah. the, anyway, that that's a digression. Well, that's just like super cool stuff. So with the gentleman's box, you know, how many customers did you have that were, you know, that were subscribers? Yeah, so that's simply a number we give out, but we had shipped out almost a half a million boxes before we were acquired. So we had some good success, really good growth over the course of six years. We actually launched October 1 of 2014 and sold October 1, 2020. It was like six years to the day. And, um, you know, very early on, we built a relationship with GQ Magazine, which I think was a really big deal as we had really good brand association when we launched. And, you know, from there, it, it's led us to, you know, even this much bigger, bigger business, which is Subta and facilitating a community. But Gentleman's Box was, was a really good viable business for us. We sold it. We had no loans, no debt, and, and we did, we did good. Good for you. Uh, that is impressive. I mean, are you at liberty to say what you exited for? Was it north of five mil? So what we're allowed to say is that it was a uh, seven-figure deal. 
Okay, well, that that's a big range. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, you could say it's anywhere from one million to nine million. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I get it. Okay, well, hey, man, it must have been enough that it was worth exiting. I mean, did you sell it for the money, or did you sell it because it was just like you just wanted to start something else and you just wanted to move yeah. on? Or no, so um, really, we sold it because we wanted. To- put all of our focus on SUPTA. So the Subscription Trade Association, we've built it as being the largest community of direct-to-consumer subscription brands. And when we launched SUPTA, we really started, we did things a little bit backward. We started off with launching an event called SubSummit. We launched it in 2016. And when we launched that conference, we didn't think we were going to make any money doing that. What we wanted was like to build a network, right? I knew that if I had like the greatest minds in subscription coming to my event to speak. Like I'd have their contact information. And if I wanted to do something to build gentlemen's box, like I could reach out to them. Right. And what ended up happening was like that business turned profitability, uh, like the very first event. And we were like, wait a minute, like one, everybody loved this. If we have X amount of people and X amount of sponsors, like this is a real business. And I'll be honest from like 20, from probably 20 years old to 34, I'm 36. Everything I did was like about how much more, like how, how can I make more money? Right? Everything I did was transactional. Even when we started Gentleman's Box, like it was so transactional. It was like we would come in and how many new subs did we get? What's revenue look like? When we built Subta, it wasn't about the money. It wasn't about the revenue. It was how can we help this community of direct to consumer brands? And truth be told, like my mindset shifted, right? Like I don't, I, like the, I don't do things for the money anymore. I do things that, I, that make me really happy. And I found this niche in like helping entrepreneurs build really amazing businesses and especially build amazing businesses through subscription because I know they work. And so when we sold Gentleman's Box, it was about like, let's focus on this thing that we love doing and build this community because Subta has grown to be a bigger business than Gentleman's Box. And our focus has never been about like how much money we made on it. And it just turns out to be like the most profitable business we've ever built. And so... You know, my mindset's changed. I think if you would have asked me when I was 34, am I selling this for the money? I would have said, yeah. But now it was like, we had a good exit. We built a really good business. The money's like a little bit of a bonus. But like, the truth is like, now we get to focus on Subta, which is what we love and what I love. And and we're putting all our time and energy into that. That's incredible. And that is very interesting. And and I mean, just for starters, I mean, I wouldn't have known that uh, the Subta, as you call it, Subscription Trade Association, I wouldn't have even known that that was for profit. It sure doesn't sound like it. So that's marketing genius right out of the gate. <laughs> because, I, because I'm not so sure every, uh, I'm not so sure all of your members know that it's for profit. Yeah. Or, I mean, it's not a non-for-profit. We don't say that it is, but you know, for us, it's like we we're facilitating the largest community. And if you come to a Subta event or you join Subta, like there's no way you're not getting value that's going to help your business. And we're continuing to improve on that. And and we do a really, really good job at our events that are live. I mean, this year was obviously things got a little bit of a wrench thrown into it because we couldn't have our live event and we had to do everything virtual, but our events are really good. And and now we need to really, we need to make Subta really good. And so our initiatives for 2021 are, are changing and we're going to, we're, we're strongly focused on how much content we're putting out. The mindset for everybody here and our core values are about helping the community. And to give you one really, really good example of that is metrics for businesses for probably 99% of them are like revenue, right? Our metrics for Subta moving forward are how many, how many pieces of content are we pushing out, putting out a week? And because we know that those are going to pay big dividends for the future. Wow. So that's, 
smart. You can't, you can't argue with that thinking. Well, I mean, so how many members are there? Over 1900. Fantastic. That, that's inc- and, and how many people have typically gone to your events, I guess, pre-COVID just to get a sense of scale on it? Yeah. So our first event in 2016 was about 200 people. Our last in-person event was May of 19, had over a thousand people. It was like a thousand fifty, had over 90 exhibitors and over a hundred speakers. Good for you. And where was it? It was in New Orleans. Oh, fantastic. It, what venue? It was at the, uh, I think it was the Sheridan downtown. Got it. Yeah, it I, I, the Marriott. All of us are at the Sheridan of the Marriott. So it was right there downtown. It was cool. Yeah. Well, I was just, I, I love New Orleans so much. I was just curious. It's irrelevant. Yeah, right, right by the casino. You know, the, the casino there was like, like right at Kitty Corner to it. Yeah, I know. It's, I think Harris is the casino. It's on Canal yep. Street. Yeah, I know exactly where that is. That's, um, that is really an amazing thing. And man, my hats are off to you. What, what does it cost to be uh, a member? So right now membership is 300 a year and that, that gives you access to all of the content. You can also join for free and there's a lot of free content. So you get your value. I mean, it, like I, I tell everybody, like if you can't get $300 in value, like I'll write you a check for 300 because it's just impossible. Like you just, you get one tip that you would put into your business pays for itself. You know, what a smart idea that is. My, my goodness, to come up with that, that is pure genius. I just got to tell you, talk about it. And, and filling a real legitimate need, to your point, not necessarily being driven by money, but a, a real concrete need to provide so much value to a community. Fantastic. And with all the speakers and, and all the content that you produce, how much would you charge to, and again, I respect that the driver isn't money. I really do. But these are the questions I ask because it just gives me a sense of like scope. What would it cost to go to the event? So the event is, you know, usually like 300 to $1,000 a ticket, depending on like if you're a startup or depending if you're a supplier. The makeup of the event is probably like 30% is ticket sales and 70% is sponsorships. So, you know, we we know that suppliers can come to our event and they can pay for a sponsorship and they can get value because it's the only event they can go to that puts a thousand subscription companies in the room at the same time. So our revenues really comes from our suppliers and partners. And, and on the ticket side, it's, you know, these merchants, you know, they'll buy tickets to come. But, you know, if you're like, we have, we have programs. Like if you're a startup, like we'll give you free tickets if you show us proof of flight hotel. Um, we've got hosted buyer programs where like, as long as you take like eight meetings with suppliers, like you can get reimbursement for your travel. So we do things to try to fill the room. Our biggest goal is to fill the room with as many brands as possible because the suppliers will, the ones that have the money and they have the marketing budgets to get new business, they'll, they'll pay to be in that room. Well, I mean, where else can they get that direct access, right? That you're providing. Exactly. Is Chris, is it the same three guys that, that found a gentleman's box or, or running Subta? Correct. Yep. It's me, John and Paul. Gosh, so you guys, that, that partnership clearly worked. I mean, that's my assumption. Yeah. Yeah. And we got really good relationship and we all have our different skill sets and we've been fortunate with that. And, and I think a big part of it is communication, right? And another big part of it is like putting, like the individuals in the right position for success, right? So us being able to identify like, what's Chris really good at? What's Paul really good at? What's John really good at? And have them focus on those areas, not have somebody cross over that might not be as good at it. We have a lot of trust in each other. That's a blessing. That's rare. And, and especially I think with three guys is probably five times less common that it works than just two guys, just because just I will say the third guy helps when, when there's a cross and decision, right? When there's two people that 
have different opinions, you have a third person that can jump on one side and it helps. That's interesting. When you have just two of you, like you can like both be feel really strongly about a direction to where like you start to build like maybe resentment or anxiety or like I told you so, right? Like now it's like a third person kind of comes in and gives another perspective and you get the whole team on board. So I actually like the idea of three, like an odd number. It helps with those decision making. I'll buy it. I'll buy it. How how many how many events? And I guess maybe COVID is obviously changing the playing field, but how many were you doing? How many will you do, I guess, in the in the virtual world? So well in the virtual world, I mean look at for 2021, we're hopeful that we'll go back to live. It might be a hybrid, right? So we're trying to have the right now the event's set for June, but we're trying to push it to uh, September, early September. And um, it'll probably be a hybrid where people can tune in virtually, but then also attend for those that want to attend in person. And we're just hopeful that uh, more updates on the vaccine, more people being able to get it, more people comfortable with flying, that that could all make a lot of sense. I see. How many, assume we're completely out of the woods by 2022, how many events do you think you'll have? Probably like oh, like two in person. We usually try to do two a year, yeah. I got it. Now, like... You know, we, we we have to build a roadmap out. And again, things change a little bit, but you might just start to see some like smaller regional events, things like that. We had plans for that. But again, like we had to really pivot in 2020. So like focus went from live to like all virtual. And so we had to change our strategy. You've been uh, flexible around that. And I and, and the times have called for that, especially, I mean, gosh, in terms of you think about, you know, industries that have been affected, the events business is right up there in the top oh, yeah. five, I would say. For sure. Uh, in at this point, does Subta have employees? Oh, it does. Oh, yeah, for sure. We've got six, I think. We've got out of marketing, content marketing, two content creators. Yeah, six, seven employees. And are you guys going into the office now or are you all virtual? No, everybody's virtual. I come in every day. Paul does as well. John sometimes. Um, I, I love getting out of the house to work. So, yeah, it's, it's quiet around here, but everybody else is working remote. Do you anticipate, I guess, in the near term or down the road, uh, and maybe you're thinking about this and maybe you're not, but would you contemplate doing another business in addition to Subta with your partners? Oh, for sure. With them, yeah. I think that right now we're hyper-focused on Subta, though. And I think as an entrepreneur, I think one mistake entrepreneurs make is they have this like FOMO, right? And like, they, anytime a deal gets presented to them, they want to jump in and be part of it. And I probably get like two ideas a month pitched to me. And I might, there's a couple that I might invest in and participate in, but like my like 90% focus is on subto. And then, you know, I might have 10% left for some other sort of ventures. I, I think it's like as an entrepreneur, you need to be able to say no and like not worry if that other business blows up. Cause when you try to do too much, nothing gets done. What an irony. Exactly. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you lose that focus, nothing gets done. So are you, what's your work schedule like? Are you like a, uh, are you a workaholic working all the time? I have a feeling just talking to you, you think all the time for sure. Uh, I could tell that, but are you, uh, how many hours do you think you work a week on Subta? That's an interesting question. Um, you know, you're always thinking about the business, whether it's answering, like if I'm sitting down on my couch and email comes in, I'm responding to it. Right. I'm in an office like, you know, I have two dogs at home, so um, I, I want to make sure I get to them. So I, I, I work a probably a modest like office hour schedule, like nine to four. But I'm up at 730. I answer my first initial round of emails because it's an undistracted time. I'm an inbox zero guy. So I go to bed answering emails. 
you're always thinking about it. I can't tell many times, tell you how many times I've been laying in bed, rolled over and typed notes into my phone. I think it's like ingrained in, in entrepreneurs. Um, I think you're working all the time just because you're not hyper-focused on specific things. I'm not very good at detaching. It's something that as an entrepreneur, I'm self-aware of, and I need to learn to do that. Like I need to take like a seven day, 10 day trip, even if it's by myself to like disconnect. Um, I struggle. I struggle with that. Truth be told, sometimes it's a problem, right? It's a problem for relationships. It's a problem for a lot of things. I think I have to get better at, at that as an entrepreneur. Sometimes because you got to clear your head sometimes. You know, I, I do two walks every day with my dogs. The morning walk is always me listening to a podcast. And then the afternoon walk, I try to like listen to music or something that's like not, that gets my, my brain cleared. Have you, have you, um, considered trying drugs? <laughs> Which ones? <laughs> I mean, I have not, but I mean, I get to hear of that sometimes, but I, I don't know. I don't know if I have or haven't. I, I think I wouldn't be afraid to, I guess that's the question. I was joking. You know yeah. what? <laughs> I, I'm the same way. There's no question about it. And, um, the one thing I do that works, and a lot of people just don't enjoy doing this, so they just don't, but I like reading fiction. And I find that that enables me to detach more than anything. Um, because the reality is if you're watching TV, you're watching a movie on Netflix, whatever, you can then start daydreaming about Subta or, you know, any number of things you're going to start selling online or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But you cannot concentrate, you know, reading just requires a hundred percent concentration. I mean, that, it does for me. Yep. And so nothing takes me away from the now. And, and there's nothing that gives me the escape, like than just reading. And, it, and the reason I say fiction is just because then it's a story. It's not a news article, which then, you know, then it's just not the same thing. And then the other thing I do is uh, I'm a workout junkie. You know, I put my body through stuff I probably shouldn't put it through, especially at my uh, old age. But that as well, when I just exercise to the point where I'm like, you know, just like completely spent, that's what it takes to get just uber relief. So you have two dogs. Is there no wife in the picture? No, there's not. Um, I, unfortunately, I got divorced uh, just this year. Um, so that, you know, that was, I don't think we're 220, but great relationship with my ex-wife still. And we were just going in two different directions in life. So absolutely good there. And I learned a lot. You know, I joke that like, I could like solve anything. Like, I'm just like a guy that is a firefighter that can fix anything. And I, like, I couldn't figure out marriage. And so I think that's like probably the hardest thing in life. But um, yeah, just me and the two, the two Huskies. Okay. So you didn't have kids? No kids. All right. Well, that's, that makes it easier. Yeah, it does. Yeah. That, yep. that, that, that makes it easier. Well, so here's a question. You know, you put yourself through school, you worked at your dad's liquor store. What would you say it is about how you were brought up, if anything, that contributed to you being successful as an entrepreneur? Great question. You know what? Um, I just had to do it myself. You know, I still help my family and parents to this day. You know, I was fortunate. I grew up in Bloomfield Hills where it's a wealthier city here in Michigan. I went to a really good high school. I was surrounded by really smart people as well as like successful people. And my parents were successful, but like towards like I'd say the last, maybe from when I was in middle school up, their stores didn't do as well. And so I just had to do everything on my own, right? Like I had to work. I was working at like 15. I remember my brother would have to drop me off at the store to work. 
So I think like that built a lot of good characteristics, right? I had a lot of good work ethic young at a young age that like I had to work, like I didn't know any other option. And then hearing going to a good school and hearing where your friends are all going to college, it was like, oh, I, you know, I need to go to college too. Like I need to be successful. Like I have a different road. Like I got healthy, I got handed a, like a different hand of cards, but like I'm going to make the best of it. So I think in a lot of cases, I was like lucky that that happened because like you can put my back against the wall and like I'm going to figure it out. And that's not always the case when things are handed to you, right? You know, I always say like, nobody got rich not putting in any work. Like there's that lucky people every once in a while that things get handed to them. But like 99.9% of the people did not get successful without putting any work in. And I had to put work in, like I was forced to at a young age. And so like, I just had it in my blood. Like I just had to work. So did you say, did I hear you correctly when you were saying that when you were in middle school, that the family wasn't doing as well. Is that what you said? Correct. Yeah. And what, and what was that with this? The liquor store wasn't doing well or like what were the circumstances? You know, there was, there was a lot of different things. I think like, yeah, like, so it's funny. My dad is like a super humble, quiet man. Very quiet, very humble. Wouldn't kill a fly. My mom's like more outgoing. Like I have a lot of her. Right. And I think like, um, my I would, if I had to guess, like if I were to go back, if I had this brain and I was like going back to like, hey, helping my dad build that store, right? I would say that his passiveness hurt him a little bit. He wasn't as aggressive as an entrepreneur, didn't take a lot of chances, things like that. I think with time change and and he had he was in business with his brothers, that's like, you know, a whole other story of things, right? You know, there's a lot of factors in there that that led to that. I mean, he's he's 78 years old now and he's working at a liquor store. The guy's the machine. He's still working. He like doesn't want to not work, but he doesn't own his own liquor store anymore, right? He works for somebody. So the the name Christopher George in the liquor business, what what nationality were you guys? Were you guys Greek or Yeah, so we're Chaldean. So we're we're my parents were from Baghdad, Iraq. So we're Catholic, Catholic Arabs. And um yeah, you know, that that bloodline for like our culture is just like work, work, work. I mean, I didn't even see my dad. He worked he went to the liquor store at eight in the morning and came back at ten at night. Like he just worked. That's all he did. So Catholic Iraqis, what did you say the term was? Uh, uh, Chaldean. Interesting. So how many Chaldeans are there? A lot. In Michigan, there's a lot in Michigan. There's, there's a lot in California, but we were, you know, me and you were talking before this call that there was a lot of uh, Jewish families in our area. Like, so Bloomfield Hills and West Bloomfield was like probably half Chaldean, half Jewish. I see. And did they get along? Oh yeah, of course. A lot of the same family values. I mean, I know that there's a ton of Lebanese in, I think, yep. in Dearborn, and it yeah. might be more than Lebanese at this point. It might be people from other countries as well, but I know there's a huge, huge Muslim population in yep. Detroit. Correct. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Dearborn. Yeah. Huge population in Dearborn. Yep. Was your dad born in the U.S. or was he born in Iraq? No, he was born in Iraq. Both my parents. Oh, both your parents. Wow. And how old were they when they came over? My dad, maybe 25. It's 26. I think my mom was 16. I know she came over when she was 16. So, so you're not talking about like, hey, it's babies. I mean, they they're really from the old country. So you're yeah. you're like you're like first generation. So um, I get it, man. Very interesting. Well, here's what I've enjoyed about our conversation is that the business part was like the first half, but the other stuff is is fascinating. I think we covered the business stuff. <laughs> you're an, a highly industrious guy, and you're you're going to keep doing incredibly well. 
I've really enjoyed this conversation. My goodness. Well, for those of, of my listeners that, that are in the subscription business that would be immensely benefited by Subto, what, what's the uh, web address and what do they need to, to know to get a hold of you? Yeah. So just go to Subta.com. It's S-U-B-T-A.com. Also, like there's tons of amazing content on our Subta YouTube channel, which if you just type in Subta on YouTube, that'll pop up. Also, my social channels are all at Chris G Cares. I go live every Friday at 2 p.m. on Facebook and LinkedIn, just pumping out great content. I have great speakers on. I'm always putting out content about subscription co- uh, businesses, entrepreneurship in general. I have a I have a really strong belief about helping people like think about being happy versus making money and trying to identify what that is. I think you know this younger generation is a little is a little blind right now to what entrepreneurship is. So. I really enjoy speaking at the colleges and then talking to the students and, and getting them to really think about like what they want to do in the future. So a lot of good content around that if you check out my social channels. Okay. Well, phenomenal. I've really, really enjoyed this conversation and, and uh, look forward to being in, in um, you know, further contact with you, Chris. Yeah, no, Rogers. Thanks so much for having me on. I really enjoyed this conversation as well. And if you need anything at all, uh, feel free to reach out. I will. Thanks, Chris. Of course. I-